0: Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. I am your host, Esteban Julian. For more advice and to learn more about how I started my own fashion brand, make sure you follow my fashion journey on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the future of fashion business. I am your host, Esteban Julian. And on this week's episode, I sat down with environmental and social responsibility expert, Mia Davis. Mia is the director of environmental and social responsibility at Cradle Beauty. The retailer with the largest assortment of clean products in nine brick and mortar stores and online. Mia is also leading the clean products movement by setting the most meaningful ingredient and product standards. We had a wonderful conversation on the environmental regulations needed and not only the environmental regulations needed, but the secret of transparency and the importance of transparency when building a sustainable Environmental or any type of brand that relates to social responsibility. So, without any further ado, let's get into today's episode. Awesome, Mia. Very, very happy to be here. I'm always super, super excited to get people and you know the sustainability, environmental, social responsibility, anything that has to do with this topic. It's something that I'm very personally and passion passionate and interested about. And a lot of people nowadays. Are very very interested in so thank you very much for your time and for being here with us today Mia
1: yeah happy to be here thank you for having me
0: it's my pleasure really is and uh, I really can't wait to ask you a lot of questions I think you're the first person that I have that has you know a very solid background in beauty most of my previous episodes are very very fashion focused but because of you know how related those two industries are mm-hmm. and how similar the environmental and, and social problems are within those two industries I thought it would be amazing to have you on yeah i agree Awesome. So Mia, uh, just for people that don't know about, you know, what you do and what your story has been like, it's always something that gets people, you know, in the right move to start listening to an episode either to the, you know, if they're going to work, listening to the episode, I, I like the fact that people can relate with people's story in the industry, especially something like fashion and beauty that can be extremely, uh, extremely scary to dive into at the beginning. So can you just share with us a little bit more about, you know, what your background is like? How'd you get started? And a little bit more about your story.
1: Sure. So I, you know, I've always liked beauty and fashion, but I didn't come to this work um, through the the that more kind of traditional career path. I have actually been an environmentalist since I can remember, like since I was born, I've just really cared about Um, what happens to the environment everything from you know climate change to the health of polar bears and ecosystems and then when i got into college i thought i would be a writer and i always cared a lot about you know social justice and activism and corporate accountability and i started to work on those things more and used my my writing and my strategic thinking kind of as an activist and i started to work on corporate accountability issues And this is, um, you know, in the really early days of thinking about corporate social responsibility, what we now know as CSR and what a lot of companies, um, have hopefully built into their, their programs. Uh, back when I was in, you know, undergrad and grad school, this was still pretty new thing. There was, you know, Ben and Jerry's and Patagonia leading the way, but not too many other companies that were really out front talking about, um, being certainly yes, for profit, but also for people and for the planet. And I started to work on um, toxic chemical reduction and thinking about where chemicals that are uh, potentially harmful to human health and the environment, where they're used and where they end up. And I came to find through my my research and my work that they're not just used in manufacturing and then they are you know taken care of. They yeah. usually... Um, they in, in some small or large part, depending on the industry and depending on the chemicals and the processes, they end up in the air, in the ground, in the groundwater, and in the products that we take home, in the products that we buy. So mm-hmm. whether those products are electronics or textiles or plastics that are in our home or even beauty products, um, there are a lot of chemicals that have never been assessed for safety or that are potentially harmful in the stuff that we're using every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and yet, especially in the beauty industry, right? Because I mean, it's literally a chemical that you're consistently pouring into your skin into your body.
1: Yeah. I mean that, that's why I find this route of exposure really interesting. It's very concerning, but it's also interesting because it's so personal. Right. Exactly. So um, absolutely. I I, I want to make the point for sure that there are more, I would say there are more harmful and more concerning chemicals used in a lot of industries, more more so than the beauty industry. Mm-hmm. But it's because of that intimacy and because of that route of exposure that it's a really compelling place to try to clean up and to talk about this. So when I think of like, I think of a person's you know environmental exposure to toxic chemicals. If you think of it as a, a diagram or like a pie, beauty, mm-hmm. you know, cosmetics, skincare, hair care, all this stuff we put on our body, shampoo. Uh, deodorant toothpaste all this stuff is one slice of the pie and I'm not trying to imply that it's the biggest slice or the most crucial slice but it's a slice that really matters because our, our skin is our largest organ and we are inhaling the stuff and ingesting the stuff we're absorbing it into our bodies and you know the the percentage completely depends on who you are and what the chemical is it's not like it's a across the board you know we know exactly what's being absorbed but we know some of it is and we know that we have you know, more control over this exposure than we do over a lot of other things. It's really hard to control, you know, what you're exposed to in your groundwater, in your community, or in your air, in your workplace, or in your home, um, you know, outside at the playground. That's Mm -hmm. a lot harder for you to control as an individual. But when you learn about um, potentially unsustainable and toxic chemicals in the stuff that you buy at the department store, or the drugstore, or the beauty store, or online, you, you have a lot more uh, power there as a consumer um, mm-hmm. to reduce your exposure to toxic chemicals. Once you know how to, how and why you should care and, and how to look.
0: Yeah. And what you should look out for, right? Because I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's probably one of the biggest issues in this whole thing. is just the lack of awareness that consumers have over what products to use, what's good, what's bad. And, you know, I think that nowadays, especially with, you know, the the new hype around, you know, sustainability and make is this using this sort of like as a marketing strategy for a lot of different companies, the word in and of itself has kind of lost its meaning as well. So there's a lot of challenges from a consumer perspective to truly understand and know what's going on and the products that they're using.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I I think there's, I I think there's two things happening. I think that there's absolutely what we call greenwashing,
0: mm-hmm. uh, which
1: is when a company implies that they are making a, a greener or a more natural uh, decision or or process than they really are. Um, that has been happening for years and is still happening. So unfortunately, some of these terms have been you know diluted, or the the customer is rightfully like wondering if there's meaning behind them. But I also think there is, there are more companies doing more in this space than ever before. When I started doing this work, um, at the campaign for safe cosmetics and working on, you know, corporate accountability from this kind of environmental health nonprofit angle, I was working with some of the companies that were really early to the quote natural space. Mm -hmm. They were the pioneers in this space and they were alone out there. Um, competing with a couple of the giants, the multinationals that were starting to, you know, throw a green leaf on the front of their bottle or of course, yeah, um, yeah. T- toss around the or word the organic.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Um, And now we're seeing that there, there is more of a crackdown in uh, regulation around using certain terms like organic, like that has to actually mean something. You can't, mm-hmm. you can no longer say that you can no longer name your company XY organics, right? and not even use organic ingredients. But when I was young, I can remember a very famous brand and a very famous commercial you know, of a, of a shampoo that called itself organic in the name and had no organic ingredients in it. That's not allowed anymore. So you're right, there's absolutely a lot of greenwashing and I would add clean washing and transparency washing. There's a lot of brands implying that they're just doing more than they really are or just kind of riding the coattails of the others that I think are leading. And that's a problem for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is, I think there's more accountability from um, other brands, from consumers, from bloggers, uh, and even from
0: regulatory bodies. Amazing. And a lot of it do you think was because of, you know, the. The come up of direct to consumer brands and them having a lot more control over to what they're offering to the customer. And more importantly, the customer having a lot more control over what the company actually needs to do.
1: Yeah, I think that those things absolutely were huge factors. But I think that um, retailers like Credo and even at a bigger scale, companies like Target, Taking a stand and saying, we're going to have a really strong restricted substance policy. We're not going to allow certain ingredients in these products. And then taking it even farther to talk about good manufacturing processes, that Mm -hmm. has helped too. So, um, yeah, after I left the campaign for safe cosmetics, I was the first hire at Beauty Counter. And Mm -hmm. I developed the ingredient selection process there. And I headed up environment, health, and safety at that company for five years. It was an amazing opportunity and beauty counter sells through a field of independent sales consultants and online so that's was also another interesting way to get the word out around you know why does the safety and source of these ingredients matter why do low dose chemicals matter yes they do and here's why we were able to show what we were doing as a brand to make safer stuff and then convey this to the consultant who could then go out there in her community and as she's selling the product let people know about environmental health and that was so cool for me as an environmental health advocate for my you know, life, um, empowering this kind of army of, of mostly women to go out there and start talking about concepts like why, why low-dose exposure to toxic chemicals matters, but in a way that was a lot more palatable and interesting because it was around beauty. Um, so I think there's a bunch of different tactics that we have taken very strategically. And then just like in the zeitgeist, people caring more as they see you know, the ocean being choked with plastics and starting to ask harder questions about, you know, the sustainability of, of materials, like whether it's chemicals or packaging or the stuff you bring in your house or, you know, trying to not use plastic bags anymore and remember to bring your bags to the grocery, grocery store, all this stuff is happening as it should be. And it's, it's late really, (laughs) but thank God it's starting to happen. The people are having more of an awareness of why all this stuff matters. 100%
0: and I mean you can never stress how important it actually is and how important it's gonna continue to be Uh, now Mia, can you tell us a little bit more going a little bit back to your story in the industry because you mentioned beauty counter which I think is a very very interesting company Uh, but can you tell us a little bit more on how you got started a beauty counter and how from there you went on to uh, getting into credo beauty because I think a lot of people might also not know what credo beauty actually does so uh, sure
1: Yep. So I was in the early days uh, working to, with a diverse coalition in the United States to um, get companies to reduce their use of toxic chemicals and instead use greener, safer chemistry. And uh, I was working with a bunch of small and medium-sized, quote, natural companies to try to share information and really lift up what they were doing. And at the same time, you know, really calling to task some of the larger multinational companies that were lagging in the space. For mm-hmm. example, companies that were using pink ribbons on their products during the month of October to sell more, uh, to sell more products under the the guise of um, you know, curing breast cancer, when some mm-hmm. of the chemicals that they were using in those products that had pink ribbons slapped on the front of them were linked to cancer. So they were using carcinogens and hormone disrupting chemicals. And then further, not disclosing some other chemicals that were in there, um, but saying that they were all about preventing or, or curing breast cancer. So I was doing a lot of work on calling attention to this, both on the positive side of the companies doing the right thing and on the negative side of like, hey, this is not acceptable. We need to be doing better than this. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I wanted to work for a startup. I hadn't done that before. And I'm a very entrepreneurial person and really wanted to get into this, this space. And it, again, it was really new then. Um, I joined Beauty Counter as the first hire um, before the company even had a name um wow. i had i had yeah, I had met the CEO, greg Renfrew um and we were sharing a passion for doing things in a in a much safer, more informed way mm-hmm. and um yeah, that was two thousand I met her in two thousand and eleven I joined January two thousand and twelve um and as I said, really laid the groundwork for the ingredient selection process, which is like beauty counters, um, whole system that they have in place for, um, evaluating the materials that they use and making the best possible choices based on safety sourcing, you know, the function, Like for example, like if, you know, if, is there any alternative available, if you need something to have glide or you need a preservative, what, what are the suite of options that we have to choose from and let's make a smart choice here. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really, uh, you know, I feel like I got my PhD in startup because as I said, I was pretty new to that. I I was really new to that. And then by the time I left for five years, I had uh, built my own team for the first time. I mean, I had PhD physiologists and toxicologists that I was calling on regularly, which was great. Um, And then when I left, I've I've been doing some consulting ever since. And I joined Credo Beauty um, part-time as their director of environmental and social responsibility. And Mm -hmm. I've been with them for about two years and they're a fantastic US-based retailer. They have 10, about to have 10 brick and mortar locations and a dot-com business as well. And they sell 120-ish brands that all have to comply with Credo's industry-leading clean standard, which I helped them develop. So Mm -hmm. when I joined them, they already had a really strong point of view on wanting to be a clean retailer. The the two founders came from Sephora, you know, had a lifetime of experience in beauty and really wanted to stay in that space, love beauty, wanted to keep it fun, but wanted to do it clean and make it a lot more meaningful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and not do the greenwashing thing that we just talked about. So yeah, so they started with um something called the Dirty List, which is a pretty strong uh robust list of restricted substances. Mm-hmm. So it goes, you know, it's got phthalates and parabens and all the, the bad actors that we know should be avoided in beauty and skincare. And they went further than that and added a few dozen more. And then when I came on, I helped to make sure that the dirty list was really enforceable and operational. So mm-hmm. instead of just having these um, cosmetic companies who, you know, almost everyone uses a contract manufacturer and the companies are pretty small. So they uh-huh. go to a contract manufacturer and say, hey, uh, don't use these chemicals. They're on Credo's dirty list and the contract manufacturer may be really above board and really care about that mission, mm-hmm. you know, to reduce toxic chemicals and might be all over it or they might be like, sure, okay, no problem. <laughs> we won't sure. use these, you know, in as much as you can tell that they're on an ingredient list, mm-hmm. but there are other ways that they can be kind of tagging along whether they're, you know, basically the same kind chem- of chemical under like a synonym or a very similar chemical, but probably with the same concerns. Or whether it's kind of hiding as a trace ingredient in another uh, ingredient blend, so mm-hmm. there are ways that I um, took the dirty list and made it um, operational with the clean standard. But the clean standard goes far beyond that too. We're we're really proud of what we're doing uh, with our brand partners to really make sure that clean is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And for for Credo, clean um, is really it is defined. I hear a lot of times like oh, but what is clean? Does it mean anything? Is it like green? Does it mean something? And while there's no, like, there's certainly no regulation around the term clean, and there's not an across the board industry approved definition. I feel that the definition we've created at Credo is uh, really strong and hope that others will be adopting it. Uh, and, and, and we can all speak the same language. So for Credo, clean is really like, if you imagine a Venn diagram, right? With like circles that kind of overlap each other clean is in the middle of a few different important factors. So mm-hmm. one is about safety. It could the ingredient cause harm? Is there is there a risk to using this ingredient in skincare? Another is about source. Is the ingredient natural? Is it naturally derived? Is it synthetic? Another is about ethics. How how is who grew this ingredient or who made it? Were they paid a living wage? Uh, Was it mica from India where they use child labor? You know, so there's this ethical component and the animal, animal um, welfare could fit in that ethical bucket too. And then another one would be around sustainability. So you can have, you know, I I touched on source. You can have a natural ingredient that would be the source of the ingredient, but it can be grown in a really unsustainable way. Mm -hmm. Perfect example of that is palm oil. Um, palm oil is really common in the beauty industry and also in food, like pretty much all packaged goods um, and it's natural and it's really safe and it could be very sustainable because it has, um, it's fast growing and it has good yield that you can get a lot of oil from the the palm plants that provide the oil and mm-hmm. a lot of other ingredients come from it too. Like there's a lot of palm derived ingredients. So it's not just like when you just see the ingredients hundreds of ingredients that are derived from palm oil. Mm-hmm. But most of the palm oil on the planet is grown in this like slash and burn plantation style uh, growing techniques that are extremely detrimental to the ecosystem. They displace, you know, orangutans and tons of other creatures that live in that environment. Mm-hmm. Usually these environments are, they're, well, they're equatorial. So if you can imagine all the animals that live Around the equator, they're already like really suffering because of uh, deforestation and habitat loss. So going in and like clear cutting a rainforest, planting palm plantation, extract taking down the palm, and then like burning it and moving on to the next plot of land is mm-hmm. so super destructive. But there we have the example, right, of an ingredient that is both safe and natural, but not sustainable at all. And I would argue that's not the clean way of doing things. So I see clean as all of these things, plus layer in transparency and Mm -hmm. being honest about ingredients and ingredient sourcing and the complexity of all these things. And that to credo is what clean means. And one more important note on the definition of clean is that you can't be checking off all these boxes in equal measure for every ingredient, right? So I don't think for palm, for example, I don't think the answer is to boycott palm because the truth is, we're never going to not have palm on the planet. The best thing of we course. can do is be driving the market toward a much more sustainable, respectful way of growing it. Mm-hmm. And then we have a safe, a safe natural, sustainable ingredient. And that, that's what we need to be uh, really doing in the clean movement.
0: And now we'd like to take a quick commercial break to thank our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by your social component. At Your Social Component, we help fashion and e-commerce business owners automate and scale their online sales using the best online advertising strategies out there. If you're looking for a marketing agency that completely understands your industry and can scale your fashion and e-commerce business to the next level, make sure you get in touch through our website at yoursocialcomponent.com. Now let's continue with this week's episode. Of course. And not to mention the fact that when you, when you go and try to disrupt a system or uh, an entire industry, in the case of the palm oil, you never, you can never understand the economical or, you know, social consequences that might, that might also, that might also bring. So I think that that's one of the biggest things about, you know, sustainability and environmental and social responsibility. It's like you, you really do need a high level Of understanding of not only the variables that need to fall into place for it to be considered clean as you said Mm -hmm. because I think it's very important for people to really understand the definition of what it actually means also understand how you're gonna have you know the operational systems in place so that actually you know the, the companies actually follow through with them how to have in place as you said knowing how to identify the chemicals that you need Uh, And a lot of different other factors that people, especially entrepreneurs need to consider before diving into, you know, starting their own social or responsible businesses. Now I'm sure you come across a lot of people and you've come both from, you know, your startup experience at beauty counter and your consulting, Uh, a lot of people that have, you know, have the passion, have the love for the idea of doing something about this, but yet don't know, don't have either the know how, more the the, the company structure to follow through with this. So what would you, what would you say is the biggest and most important thing? I know this, this will be a lot, very general because it depends on very different businesses, but what's the Mm -hmm. one thing that you would recommend to somebody that has no idea where to start and just needs something to move a little bit forward?
1: Yeah, it's a big question. You're right. And I think you know, the biggest piece of advice that I could give to someone for, for running an authentic, genuine business, but also, um, you know, to not limit themselves or uh, unintentionally hurt their own brand in the long run is to embrace the complexity of this value chain. It's, Mm -hmm. we just went over like all these factors and there are more, right.
0: Um,
1: around sourcing ingredients and making products and who you're selling these products to and, and how honest you are with them, all of the stuff I think is really important. But the last, you know, the thing that I really want to caution people against is trying to be everything to everyone all the time. <laughs> you can't be. Um, and if you are making promises that you can't keep, that is first of all just uncool, but it also undermines everything that we're doing. And you're going to get called out on it. And that you might never recover from that. So the best thing to do is to take one issue area and really own it and go really deep or, and, or like embrace the credo definition of clean that, that I just kind of outlined Mm -hmm. and not to say that you couldn't go deep in one of them. Right. But Mm -hmm. you know, you can't know, know that you should be taking into account all of these different elements and criteria but that you're never going to hit it out of the park on all of them. And just be really honest about that. that that's not an excuse. And it doesn't mean that you're like, oh, I'm just going to kind of look the other way on this mica thing. But hey, like it's, it's really complicated. One company, especially a new startup, cannot pretend to have the solution. If the solution was that easy, we would have already done it, right? Um, we just need to be, I think we need to have more honesty about the complexity of the value chain is my, I guess would be my short answer.
0: Yeah, for sure. No. And yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, that's why it's so important to be transparent because as you said, as as long as you have a clear goal in mind on how you're going to improve whatever your goal is, then you can be transparent about the process. And yeah, when, when things go, when you mess up or when, you know, you didn't understand the cause and effect reaction of changing, I don't know, any variable in the business, you can at least be upfront about it. And at least people will see that you're doing something to move towards that goal.
1: Right. Agreed.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Now, taking advantage of the fact that we're talking about transparency, uh, you have something called the fragrance transparency policy going on that sounds very, very, very interesting. Now, can you cover a little bit more about, for somebody like me, because honestly, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Uh, And I'm sure a lot of people listening also don't know what that is. So can you give us a little bit more background on what it actually is and what it does and the effect you have on on both consumers and business owners and obviously the environment?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you asked. So Credo has just announced a big disruptive position on fragrance and it's the strongest position that a retailer has ever taken. So we're super excited about it. Um, and it addresses this uh, very secretive kind of hidden world of quote fragrance. So yeah. if you've ever you know, been in the shower and you turn over your shampoo bottle and you see the word fragrance on there, or creams, or lotions, or deodorants, or of course, you know, body sprays and perfumes and colognes. Uh, there, are, these things are all fragrances, or they contain a small in- amount of ingredient called fragrance. But we don't usually get to know what that scent really is. Like, is it a few essential oils, or is it much more? And mm-hmm. the answer is that you know we don't usually know because it's kept secret. But it's usually dozens of ingredients. Mm -hmm. um, under the term fragrance. And Mm -hmm. this loophole goes back to, um, the, the law that's on the books in the United States is from 1938, the law that governs the cosmetic industry. It's one and a half pages long. It's, you know, 80 years old and there are a bunch of problems with it. And one of the biggest problems is this fragrance loophole and is in the law. It says the companies don't have to tell you what's in fragrance. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to, you know, back in the day when, you know, we, fragrance houses, Coco Chanel, you know, imagine kind of all that was happening in the post-industrial era where we were, you know, beauty and fashion was seeing a lot of emphasis on fragrances. They didn't want someone to steal their blend, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now it's 2019 and we live in a, a different reality where we know that a lot of the chemicals that are used in fragrance, uh, have the potential to harm humans even at or or the environment even at really small amounts and approximately a third of some of the 4000 ingredients that are allowed f- to be used in fragrance blends are potentially toxic according mm-hmm. to scientists Mm-hmm. So certainly some of the chemicals that are used in fragrance blends are safe in small amounts, not a problem. Many more have never been assessed for their potential to impact human health or the environment, period. Like we know very, very little about the chemicals. And then, as I mentioned, a third, about a third of these chemicals could potentially cause harm, like, you know, allerg, you know, sensitizers, kind of allergen triggers or hormone disruption, which is a very big problem. Uh, for all the reasons you could imagine, but it's over over time also linked to increased cancer incidence um, because the hormone system is such a beautiful, delicate balance that if you kind of mess with it, especially in small amounts over a long period of time, like how we're really exposed to, for example, phthalates and fragrances, mm-hmm. um, that can potentially be a big problem, especially during like critical windows of development, um, like in the womb or in infancy or pre puberty. So, um, credo thinks that it's time that we really learned more about fragrances and that that's, that's about the secret and the reason why, and what we're doing about it is twofold. Uh, the fragrance transparency policy has um, two components. The first is required and all 120 of the brands that sell at credo have to categorize their fragrances so that a consumer who walks into a credo store or is shopping with us online knows at the very bare minimum. If the fragrance is, Only made of essential oils, or if it's natural or naturally derived or synthetic or some blend therein, we have a chart on every single product page that shows the category of fragrance. Now, people who aren't concerned about this issue, you know, no problem. They can come in, buy whatever. They're not, you know, this policy won't really affect them. But Mm -hmm. increasingly, a lot of our customers want to know more about fragrance. And now, at least people who have you know, sensitivities to synthetic chemicals. They just kind of know that their their skin doesn't act right or they're, you know they get congested if they're exposed to certain fragrances. Now they can have more information than they can have at any other point of sale by knowing at least the category. So that's required. And then the second piece is that we're encouraging all brands to fully disclose fragrance ingredients. So mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh yeah, there's this fragrance, you know, loophole Where we are not required to disclose, we're saying, sure, you're not required. You're not breaking the law when you're not. But we think that everyone deserves to know what's in the products that they're buying and putting on their bodies and putting on their kids. So rise to the occasion and tell us what's in your fragrance. And when we um, came to our brand partners over a year ago and said, hey, we're going to be doing this, we're going to set a deadline of October 2019 to, to make this happen, we were hoping that maybe, you know, like a third of the brands would. Uh, disclose. We knew, okay, some of the products are unscented, so that's easy. Mm-hmm. Others, um, especially those that are really clean and simple and you know, many of them are organic, they're only using essential oils and they usually put those on the ingredient labels. So those guys will be easy to get on board. But what about the other ones that are using natural, naturally derived and synthetic blends where some of the chemical names in those fragrance blends are like long, scary chemical names? It doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad but they look a little intimidating. What are they, what are these companies going to think? And we are incredibly proud and happy to report that 71 of the 120 brands so far have agreed to fully disclose. And this is just unprecedented. Um, mm-hmm. not, not just for wow. conventional beauty, but for even for clean beauty as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow can I can I mean I I wish I could ask about your buying process because I'm I can imagine how difficult it must be to find brands that you know pretty much check every single sort of mark on you know being able to be associated with a brand mm-hmm, like, credo. like credo yeah
1: you're yeah you're right it is a big um the clean standard is you know i think 17 pages long and that's the operating agreement that they have to sign an initial um before before we'll carry the products but fortunately many of them are really psyched about this i mean all almost all of them are i'm not gonna lie there are a few brands that are you know give us the old eye roll and maybe maybe in time we'll we'll see that they're not the right partners for us because Mm -hmm. credo was really founded with the mission to clean up ingredients and products and still make beauty you know have beauty be fun and have beauty be more accessible to people and, and not have it be something that we have to really like be scratching our heads over. We want people to come to Credo and know that there, there is more vetting that happens here than pretty much anywhere else in terms of like retail. Um, so yeah, most of the brand partners see it as a way to le- really legitimize their own efforts and mm-hmm. as a way to get some help because we, we're not um, you know chastising them. This, the brand standard, the clean standard isn't a way of saying like, get on board or ship out. Um, maybe there's a little bit of an element of that, but mostly it's, Hey, this is what we need to do to make sure clean is meaningful. Let's partner. Let's do this together. We'll help you get the information you need. You help us to make sure the standard is meaningful and, and, and give us more information if we're missing something too, because mm-hmm. those guys are on the front lines. Um, so yeah. And I mean, in addition to the clean standard compliance, the products also have to be beautiful. They have to work they have to be fun. They have to be enjoyable. So I think selling at credo means that you've already, um, right out of the gates made, made a lot of good choices (laughs) as a, as a brand.
0: Of course. No, and I love that you're talking about that because it's, I mean, you're pretty much telling people what they need to do if they want to approach retailers and they're, they're starting a, you know, a sustainable brand is Mm -hmm. again, be transparent, be honest, have a good product, And be genuine about your mission, about what you're trying to achieve, right?
1: Yes. Yep. And um, make sure you're really dotting your I's and crossing your T's because there can be a lot of surprises in raw ingredient blends. And, you know, packaging is a whole other conversation for another time. Um, Mm -hmm. And Credo is really trying to, we're trying to learn as much as we can and make better guidelines for our brands in terms of more sustainable packaging because um, it's really tricky and it's, it's alarming if you tuck into it and you really learn how little is actually recycled in the United States, it's quite disturbing. So we're trying to work with some experts in the space to come back to the the brand partners and say, all right, here's, here's what needs to happen for packaging as kind of the next really important frontier.
0: Love it. No, and I, I, I mean, to be honest, the, the one thing that I hope people get from this conversation is that yes, there's a lot of things happening, a lot of different variables. It all sounds complicated. It all sounds like it never ends. You know, one thing leads into the other one thing causes this. The other thing causes is you just talk about packaging, which is a completely different world. Uh, you know, the chemistry behind the actual products, how they're made. Uh, everything has a factor that can be worked on. But Mm -hmm. the most important thing is, as you said at the very beginning, focus on what you're trying to achieve and slowly start reaching that objective. Because as soon as you stop losing focus on that, you're going to start getting overwhelmed with the amount of things that happen and the amount of problems that come your way. Mm
1: -hmm. Agreed.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Now, before we wrap this whole thing up, I would love to dive a little bit more on number one, the operations part of of putting this all into play and keeping people both incentivized to implement these, uh, standards on their businesses. And obviously the people behind those businesses to also be incentivized and motivated and that they are working in the right environment to implement this. But I don't think that, I think we've, we've hit people to, with too much information already. And I'd much rather have you on a different episode to talk about that than just, <laughs> people to, you know, for smoke to start coming out of their ears. So uh,
1: yes, we don't want that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to join you another time. I guess the the most important take home is just to know that, um, you know, a standard like Credo's claim standard goes beyond just a restricted substance list. So where you see like other companies having like a free of list, mm-hmm. that's great. It, it, it's a really important, foundational first step. But you have to make sure that it's really true. And then beyond that, you know, backing up other claims speaking the same language around, you know, defining natural and making sure that we're all lockstep on that. Um, not making any claims that you're 100% of anything, because really it's really hard to do that unless you're making like a shea butter lip balm. Otherwise probably you can't (laughs) say, (laughs) probably you can't say too much because it's like we said, it's complicated. Um, so yeah, we're, we're making sure we're really working with companies to try to, um, maintain the the meaning here and, and show that we are walking
0: the walk. Awesome. Now, Mia, last question before we wrap this whole thing up. And it's a personal question that I always like to ask at the end of every single one of my episodes. Uh, and that question is, if you could go back when you were starting, you know, maybe when you were back in uni or, you know, writing things or starting out at the first startup, what would be the best piece of advice that you give yourself and why? And it could be from, you know, business advice, personal advice, just the single biggest piece of advice that you'd give yourself?
1: Oh, that's a big one. Um, i It sounds simple, but I think I would say to trust your gut because if you think that a certain person or brand or claim can't, it's too good to be true or something just doesn't feel right about it, Mm -hmm. Uh, it probably, that's probably right. Um, and it might be, you know, it might be good enough or natural enough for somebody else, but if it feels like it stinks to you, then there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Um, also with regard to even like your own exposures to the chemicals that you're using in beauty or that you bring into your home, even if you think, well, gosh, this must be tested, or it says right here that it's natural, or it says, you know, that it's, good for me in some way, here's these marketing claims. If, it, if you don't feel good doing it, don't do it. Um, you don't need a, a blogger or your business partner or your doctor to tell you what is right for you if you know whether, and that goes down to like per, interpersonal relationships or a potential boss to like claims mm-hmm. on marketing. Mm-hmm. If, if it doesn't feel right to you, do your best to redirect
0: so question, question everything and follow your gut.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think so no, without, driving, without driving, without driving yourself it. crazy, you know, also love there's, there's stuff that's out of your control. You can't, you know, and there's stuff that you might question and be like, Oh, it's probably not a good decision, but well, here I am anyway. It's <laughs> so yeah. you, you can't go crazy, but do your best.
0: Yeah. And it happens not only in, you know, business or career. It's, it's, I mean, I think everybody can go back and, look at a scenario in their lives where they know that they already knew the type of decision that they had to make, but they ignored it for X or Y reasons. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. Uh, Mia, that brings us to the end of the episode. It was a highly, highly educational one, even for myself, which is, you know, I always like to believe that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. So I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. And again, I was a pleasure. I will definitely take you up on having you back some other day to expand our knowledge on social responsibility. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so
1: much for covering this topic and for having me.
0: If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Future of Fashion Business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.